Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another Ars Blog Ars Cast. Coming up on this week's show, it's an AGM special. I'll be talking to Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust about what went on at yesterday's meeting. Plus, we've got the man in the bar, Sylvester, and other stuff, too. Stay tuned. So hello and welcome to another Arse Blog Arsecast. In the week that brought us an Alex on goal, Michael Silvestre's debut, and the return seemingly from the dead of Abu Dhabi. Uh, all that on top of two wins, which is very, very nice indeed. Coming up, as I said, we'll be talking to Tim Payton from the AST, that's the Arsenal Supporters Trust, about the AGM that happened yesterday uh, at the Emirates Stadium. Uh, we'll get details of what went on inside. We saw Stan Kroenke for the first time, and Arsene Wenger had some interesting words and some words of galvanization. Is that even a word, galvanization? Should be. Because it's good. It sounds good. Uh, we'll be talking to Tim about everything that went on at the AGM. Uh, the man in the bar will have a player history. We've got Sylvester here as well. And I don't quite know what else at this stage. So, um, what's happened since the last Arscast? Well, uh, for 45 minutes on Saturday, it seemed uh, like things were going from bad to badder. Battered, that's a word, isn't it? Yeah. 1-0 uh, down to Everton at home performance not great even though we had a few chances in the first half and conceding the kind of goal that would make a, a Sunday league manager take you off the pitch and shout at you seriously even at the very basic level of football if you concede a goal like that you can be guaranteed that there are at least two or three players on the team that are going to be called a cunt in front of everybody by the manager at half time and if you get back on the pitch for the second half you'd be lucky well, the thing about Sunday League, though, is that, you know, players are wrecked and they don't turn up and stuff like that. You get a squad of 16 and then by Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, there's too many lads sort of going, oh, fuck, it's, oh, it's raining. Ah, my head, I shouldn't have had those eight Jägermeisters at two o'clock in the morning. So the manager generally has no choice but to put you back out there. I mean, you, I'm talking generally because that was never the sort of error that I, I would make. Anyway, that was the situation, 1-0 down at half time, and you're thinking, oh, the crowd was quiet and restless, and there were some unhappy voices at half time, and, you know, it's, yeah, you can understand why to a certain extent. You're 1-0 down against Everton, and you're thinking, oh, come on. Second half, three minutes in, and we get a goal from Nasri. Just what the doctor ordered. It's about what 50 doctors ordered, that. Because an early goal 
allows you to then go on and play and not be as stressed and preoccupied because you can imagine when it gets to 60 minutes, oh, there's still half an hour and then 20 minutes and then 10 minutes. And we've been there many times at the Emirates Stadium. We've been trailing until late uh, rather too often, you have to say, when you think about it. The amount of times we've come back to draw or come back to win. Hmm. But anyway, we got that goal through Nasri. Robin Van Persie got the second. And late on, uh, Theo Walcott got the third. Uh, and a very good goal it was, too. Uh, but really, I mean, the, the scoreline uh, didn't flatter us in the slightest, particularly on the second half performance where we really took Everton apart. And, and it was good to see that given the fact we didn't play that well in the first half, to be able to go in at half time and actually come out and respond. Uh, whereas we saw, for example, in the whole game, when we didn't necessarily do much in the second half after a terrible first half as well. You would have thought that, you know, halftime, look, come on, lads, get your fucking shit together here. It didn't happen against Hull. Um, so from that point of view, it was very nice uh, to see. And of course, three good points and, and set us up nicely for the game in Turkey in midweek. Now, um, Fenerbahce have never lost in, to English uh, opponents, I believe, at their ground. I don't know who they played. I think they they played Chelsea last year, didn't they? Didn't they beat Chelsea? I think so. Uh, but, you know, they've got a good record at home. We know what the Turkish crowds are like. We know the Turkish teams are, are committed and decent players. Uh, under Aragones, though, Fenerbahce seem to have gone backwards big time. Uh, and the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes of that game was utterly bizarre. It really was. Uh, they could have scored inside... Uh, two minutes, Almunia made a great save at his uh, near post. Uh, then Fabregas played two of the most incredible passes you'll ever see. First one for uh, Adibayor, who scuttled through and finished, and second one for Theo Walcott, who did very well to finish, I think. It was uh, quick thinking, quick feet, and to, uh, to squeeze that one in at the near post was very good indeed. They got one back uh, through Sylvester's own goal. Uh, again, the uh, defensive side of things uh, open to question, you might say. Uh, almost immediately then, we got a goal from Abu Dhabi. It reminded me a little bit, just in terms of the finish now, not the rest of it, uh, of Henri's goal uh, against Inter Milan a few years back. Remember that when he kind of fired one in with his left foot after torturing Zanetti for what seemed like a minute and a half, just uh, shuttling back and forward with the ball. Uh, so that was 3-1. Uh, went 4-1 with Alex Song. Uh, Sylvester headed it up in the air and it fell nicely for Song and he cracked it in. Fair play to him. Uh, Guitha got uh, the second Fenerbahce goal. Uh, defensively, you would have to ask questions again. Uh, I know that uh, Sylvester is very rusty and I, I don't see Song as a center half. Central midfielder, uh, I'm beginning to see that there might be something about him, but as a central defender, I just don't see it. Uh, and I don't see why he played ahead of Juru who is a centre-half and who has just signed a new deal at the club and was fit and should be getting the games that Song is getting at centre-half. That's my opinion. Uh, especially when you've got Gallas and Toure out and you leave Juru on the bench to play Song. Seems very strange. But the manager really does seem to like Song, doesn't he? He seems to think he can play anywhere. Playing him at right back uh, to start with against Everton. Very odd. Very odd. It's like it's his, his, his pet project, isn't it? I will make Alex Song into a successful player, no matter how long it takes. He's improving, but uh, I remain to be convinced. Uh, the fifth goal from Aaron Ramsey, uh, his first Arsenal goal. Uh, he cracked one home from the edge of the box to make it 5-2 and a tremendous win. 
a tremendous win. An attacking performance that was really, really excellent. Uh, but defensively, well, the centre of the defence uh, wasn't that good at all. In fact, it was quite scary. Scary, scary, scary. Uh, fullbacks were good. Clichy was good. Ebue was good and brave and committed. And I don't know what they did, what they put in his tea or his milk. Uh, but it was like a different Ebue. And a different Ebue is far preferable to the to the other Ebue. Because he's different and not the same. Because you don't want the same Ebue, you want the different Ebue. So if the different Ebue could show up more, that would be absolutely fantastic. So uh, football-wise, it's been a good week. Three points in the league, three points in the Champions League. We are top of the group in the Champions League, seven points. We've got two home games to come. Usually 10 points will qualify you. So if we can get those 10 points on the board and uh, with, with another home game to come, it, it gives us the opportunity uh, to give some playing time to players who might not normally get as much in Europe and in the Champions League, give them that bit more experience. I'm thinking of Vela, I'm thinking of Bentner, I'm thinking of Aaron Ramsey, who I really liked the look of when he came on the other night. Uh, I know it was only a 15-20 minute cameo, but it was impressive nonetheless. So that's the football, and we'll be looking ahead to the West Ham game on Sunday in a little while. Now, though, the AGM took place yesterday. It only happens once a year. That's, that's why the A thing is in there, you see. Uh, but to talk a little bit about what went on, who was there, what was said, etc., I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Now, Tim, you were at the AGM yesterday. Uh Obviously, there's plenty to talk about, so we'll try and do it in in little categories, I suppose. Um, We'll start with finances and the property side of things. Um, How is that at the moment? And obviously, the the recession we're in and worldwide, this credit crunch, is that affecting um, the financial plans of the club, particularly in relation to the property? In their presentation today, the club still give out a lot of confidence on the properties going well. The figures they gave, and Ken Fry gave us very latest figures, which were of the first phase of release of apartments, that 54 out of the 65 in that phase are sold and completed. But in the second phase of early October, 46 of the 71 have already been completed, and that the third phase is about to go on sale. Perhaps the most important figure he gave was that so far there have only been two defaults. That's two people who have been prepared to lose their deposits of 10%. And the club did state that they believe that the hybrid property still offers good value within the London market. That being said, it's quite clear that you know a very close eye needs to be kept on the property. And in the annual report that was handed out at the meeting, the club have said that it is very clear that the anticipated sale of the Queensland Road site for the figures they first talked of is not going to happen. And they say, and I quote, that any surplus overall from property sales should be treated as a bonus. And therefore, the previous talk, which Keith Edelman gave us of up to a £100 million surplus, I think we can dismiss that. Um, But at the same time, Andrew, I, I don't think the property is, if you like, going to drag us backwards. It might not be going to give us the one off windfall that we perhaps hoped we'd have to play within the transfer market in a year or two. All right, okay. Um, Speaking of money again, uh, the wage bill, um, people will be surprised um, at how much we spend on wages. When you hear, uh, even from Arsenal players at times, you hear the the feeling that maybe the players at Arsenal aren't as well paid as they are uh, at other clubs. Maybe that's to do with star earners not earning the the star wages. Um, What's the explanation for for why our wage bill is is the second highest in, in England? 
The, the wage bill this year has gone over 100 million, and that does make us the second highest. The time, timing of our reporting, I think, means that we'll see the next Manchester United go ahead of us. But if we're not second, we're definitely third. Now, you might say we were third in the league. Therefore, we've got a wage bill that's commensurate with you know, how we compete and where we are. And certainly at the Trust, we were surprised it was perhaps this high, as this is the year that doesn't have Thierry Henry and Freddie Lundberg in it, both very, very highly paid players who moved on. I think your question, you, you suggested at, at the answer, which is that Arsenal pay their squad very well. And I have heard that Arsenal believes in paying the fullbacks, for instance, more than the fullbacks will get um, traditionally across football and you might recall in the summer he said he was going to use some of the budget he had to give pay increases to the players who deserved them and that will be people like Sanya, like Clichy who were PFA players of the year and deserve to be rewarded for it also Fabregas gets a big increase each year in the contract he has and Adebayor, um, whatever you think of the debate with how he behaved he clearly got a big pay increase to stay and some of these fantastic young that we have, they get paid far more than the equivalent youngsters at other clubs because that's part of the process of trying to make sure they don't get taken away from us. So um, it's fair to say that Arsenal do spend on the wages, not the transfers, but on the wages. They're right up there. Stan Kroenke was present. Obviously, it's been a fairly long road from the initial contact that that we had with Stan Kroenke um, tied in with David Dean that time. He was sitting at the at the board table today. Was he introduced? Did he have anything to say? What was the, the general reaction to him? He was introduced by the chairman who welcomed him to the board and explained that the Arsenal board felt that his sports marketing expertise and sports background would be an asset. There was a round of applause from the audience and a, a general, what I would call, friendly welcome to Stan Kroenke. For the Arsenal Supporters Trust, I stood up and welcomed him to the board, thanked him for taking the time to meet with us previously and inviting us to, to Denver to see the Colorado Rapids and the setup over there, and reported back our views that the way he invests and being a sports person, and given that he ended up owning 13%, having him on the board was going to be an asset. I thought it was interesting showing the commitment he's making that he's flown over here for the AGM. I thought he would be staying for the NFL game at Wembley, but he told me that he didn't have time for that. He had to get back. But it was very important, he felt, to cement his support for the board and for the club by coming to the the first AGM when he was a director. Uh, The elephant in the room, so to speak, is is Alisher Ruzmanov and Red and White Holdings. What was said about them? Uh, And do we know um, definitively if if David Dean is still with uh, Ruzmanov in, in that project? I know, I know that David Dean is, is no longer with Red and White. Um, they separated a few weeks ago um, with the explanation partly that that would help build a better relationship between Red and White and the board. The chairman did confirm that they were in some dialogue with Red and White, but I think it's very minimal. He he described it as they them receiving the same information as everybody else in the room, and he referred to perhaps the relationship evolving over several years and getting to know them. But I think it, the, the, the messaging was quite clear that they see a very different role for Stan Kroenke joining the board and working alongside them as opposed to Red and White just being an ordinary shareholder. So I think you have to read into that, you know, a, a difference in approach. The manager obviously is, is, I mean, for all the talk of the board and finances, I suppose the most interesting part of the AGM is, is Arsene Wenger and what he says and um, the questions that he has to ask. And um, he was quite, um, I suppose, passionate, maybe you were there, you can tell me whether it was passionate or not. But he, 
he spoke about the support that the team was getting or that he felt wasn't getting. He he said that he felt that either from the media or from our supporters that this team doesn't get the support it deserves. Um, those are quite strong words, I suppose. How were they received and, and in what sort of context did they come? They, they came in, in, in the context, I think, of him sort of trying to perhaps stimulate a bit more encouragement and support from the terraces for the team. He opened up by saying, you know, you're quite quiet at the moment because I think the meeting had been quite quiet. And he used that, he said, just like you are in the Emirates sometime. And he made a very compelling, I felt, and persuasive case for why he's got a fantastic set of youngsters playing for Arsenal. He thinks they've got a great future and he'd like, you know, the fans to really get behind them and give them the encouragement. And I think what's telling Andrew was when he first stood up, there had been one or two questions and comments about was the team strong enough and how long we'd gone without a trophy. But after quite a passionate and actually a very convincing case, I felt, that was made by Arsene, he got a really strong and loud round of applause at the end of his general comments. And his message very much was, we were incredibly close last year. He thinks he's got a fantastic set of players. He used the phrase, because they're all so young, tomorrow we are better than we were yesterday and the message was I'm committed to winning trophies for you and I believe this team will do it um, I sometimes think you know if we could have a, a little bit more of Arsenal's messaging perhaps on the big screen just before games it would help to galvanise the crowd then as well um, I mean is it a case that possibly the, the, the team is a victim of the success of the teams that have gone before it that the expectation level is so high now that, it, that it's difficult when you have games for example like Hull like Fulham like Sunderland um, that it's difficult for the fans to, uh, what's the word, get their minds into the fact that the team might need more of a G up um, during the games. I think, I think that's right. Arsenal made the point today that we were one of only four teams that has done 10 successive years of qualifying for the Champions League. And I think, you know, that means relative success every season, at least top four, as we know. It's often been higher than that. And I do think after years and years of that, you come to expect it rather than enjoy it and savour it. And so, yes, I think that there is some of that and I think that one of the one of the things we will take forward to the board and the club is perhaps they need to look at some ideas of how they can help encourage the crowd and, and, and work with the crowd to get behind the team for instance the handing out of more of the red and white scarves that we see in the in the um, red action section using music using video messages using Arsenal to come out and coordinate the crowd a bit more so that we can all work together to get behind the team. There were no dissenting voices um, to that speech because I think everybody has had this opinion over the last little while that maybe the investment in the team hasn't been as well or as well done as, as we might like uh, given the fact that we keep hearing we have this money. There were one or two challenges made, including someone who asked Arsene about a commitment he made at a smaller equivalent meeting in the summer that he saw as having a weakness to high balls through the middle and that he would address that in the transfer market. He was asked why he didn't address it. And he, the, the answer he used, he used the illustration of you don't just buy a footballer in a supermarket. And he said, that, you know, I want someone six foot five with a good left foot doesn't necessarily mean there's someone out there who is available who he can have in that category. So he did imply that he was always looking, always trying to strengthen the squad, but there weren't always the players that would improve what he... 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. He had, in response to a specific question about strengthening in the January transfer window, he said that he didn't rule that in or out. In effect, he said they were always looking, and if they could strengthen the team, then they would go for it. He must have that as as almost like a macro now. He just pushes a little button in his brain right. and you know, it's the same answer over and over. <laughs> well, he certainly hears it every day. But what I did pick up today was he looked committed and passionate and I felt quite determined to get his point across. But I also felt that there was someone, to me, I think who's still got a few years left at Arsenal and very much sees himself as having this young team that he's building to something quite big. He... I think maybe he has to say this. He he said more than once that he thought they would win something this year. Mm. But he was also making the point that he felt he was, you know, creating something special here with this team. And I think, you know, one or two of the questions were just, will you be able to hang on to them? Can you get there? But I certainly left, you know, slightly reinvigorated by Arsenal's comments today. All right. Um, the AST uh, handed out a booklet today at the AGM called Custodianship at Arsenal. Can you tell me just a little bit... Uh, Firstly, why and what it's about. Yes, the, the, the book was put together by a colleague of mine, Nigel Phillips, and what it was was a tribute to the 90 years of the Hillwood and 70 years of the Bracewell Smith family having been involved in Arsenal. And we recognise that their custodianship, in part, is why Arsenal is known for its sense of tradition, values and doing the right thing. And what we said in, in our message in that book is that custodianship should not be confused with conservatism, rather that it allows Arsenal to be a dynamic club, and we cited things like the introduction of floodlights and the first ever club with undersoil heating and the renaming of Gillespie Road tube station to Arsenal, right the way through to the building of the Emirates Stadium and the transformation, really, of the whole game in England through being brave enough to introduce someone like Arsene Wenger. And we feel that custodianship is the philosophy that the club strives to better itself and attain success, but always by acting in a way that ensures the club is safe in the long term and living within its means. And we wanted to hand this book out partly because we think that's a message worth celebrating, not just at Arsenal, but it's a message to others in the football community who, you know, do play fast and loose and perhaps don't always act in the custodianship role for their club. So we were really pleased to hand that out today and it was very well received, I think, by the board and all of the shareholders. Uh, is it available for people to download, for example? It's available to people who join the Arsenal Supporters Trust, and we are going to make a few, we, we're, we're seeing how many copies we have left, but we will be making a few copies available for sale as well. Um, perhaps when, when we've completed that process, 
I'll be able to let you have details and you can let your readership know on the site. Certainly. Okay, Tim, we better leave it there, but thanks very much for all the info. Um, We'll chat to you again soon. You're welcome. That was Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust talking about yesterday's AGM. If you want to join the Arsenal Supporters Trust or if you would like some more information about who they are and what they do, you can check out the website, which is www.arsenaltrust.org. Um, I suppose before we go any further, we might as well break it up. And what better way to do it than with a player history? Here's the man in the bar. Hello again and welcome to another Player History right here on the Arsecast. Thanks to everybody who sent the emails about me singing at the end of last week's show. It seems to have gone down very well indeed. So much so that I'm thinking about doing that album I've always threatened. What I'll do is I'll get real songs and incorporate Arsenal player names and Arsenal themes into them. It's revolutionary. Nobody has ever thought of doing anything like this before. Can you imagine? Timey Fabregas down, sport. Timey Fabregas down. Maybe it needs a bit more thought. Maybe you could get some, you know, contributions. A duet with famous Arsenal fans like what's-his-name from the Sexy Pistols. Johnny Rotten. Yeah, when he's finished rediscovering the spirit of punk by raking in loads of money playing festivals across Europe, then I'll give him a call. That's what I'll do. Anyway, this week the player history is about a little short arse of a fella that used to play for Arsenal. I know that doesn't really narrow it down too much, but if I was to say he was a spiky Scottish little short arse of a fella, you might just know who I'm talking about. That's right, it's Paul Dickov. <laughs> anyway, Paul Dickoff was born in Scotland 35 years and 127 days ago. It's not really relevant, but I just thought I'd put it in there anyway. He learned to play football on the streets of Livingston, which is where many, many famous footballers have come from, such as Boosty McLeod, the fellow with two left feet and one of them on backwards, and Eric Jimba Jimba. So back when he was young, Dickoff and his mates, Malcolm Kuntsnap, John Prickdive and Algernon Cockaway, used to play in the streets every day after school. Heads in volleys, treeing in and smash the ball at Algernon's head because he's called Algernon. That game in particular honed his striking skills. Dickoff... Joined Arsenal in 1989 after impressing in the 1989 Under-16s World Cup Championship tournament thing, which was also held in 1989, just in case you didn't know. He made a total of 25 appearances for Arsenal, scoring six goals, unable to get a regular place ahead of Ian Wright, Paul Merson and Kevin, the Kevin Campbell, He left and went to Manchester City, Blackburn Rovers and Manchester City again. Nowadays he's at Leicester City and he has petitioned the courts to change his name from Dickoff to Winston P. Chopper. It's true. We'll have more from the man in the bar on next week's Arscast, another player history, no doubt. Now, the AGM, I don't want to go on too much about it, but just a couple of things to touch on. Um, uh, even though we've spoken to Tim at, at great length on the stuff in today's blog, but just uh, the issue of support. 
Um, the manager saying the team, he doesn't feel, uh, gets the support it deserves from the media or from the fans. Now, from the media point of view, uh, I don't know that we should be looking for support from the media. What I would say is that um, generally the perception is, or what you hear across the media, is that Arsenal are a young team who maybe lack one or two experienced players to put them in the same bracket as Manchester United, Chelsea, to be that ruthless, to be that efficient, etc., etc. And I don't think that's an unfair comment to make, generally. Um, I know we all have our pundits who we don't like, and, and you know they do give us a hard time uh, now and again, but I think the general feeling is that that's the situation with the Arsenal squad, and I don't think there's too many Arsenal fans that would disagree with that. From a supporter's point of view, Again, yeah, at the end of the day, we're all Arsenal supporters and Arsenal fans, and while we're at the ground, we need to get behind the team, and it does make a difference. It does make a huge difference if fans are behind you uh, and give you that vocal support and encourage you and, and do all that. Uh, the problem is, of course, is that people are just human, and, and it's frustrating when you see, for example, the manager talking about a team that came so close last season, yet you lose key players from your squad, like Flamini, like Gilberto even. Uh, who um, didn't play a huge amount last season, but was a very important, to my mind, an important player uh, in the squad. So it is it is difficult. I think we could all probably do more, couldn't we? I, I think that goes without saying. But at the same time, at the same time, when you have some performances like we've seen already this season, it's difficult to um, get behind a team when some of the players really aren't doing the business and we've been over this and over this and over this in terms of in terms of some of the uh, performances we've seen this season so I don't want to uh, labor the point uh, too much but I mean um, I think fans are fans and, and they'll always have uh, they'll have their say I think if we could make more noise and if we could make uh, the Grove a much more intimidating place and a louder place I think that would be fantastic and I don't think anyone would argue with that either would they if we could make the atmosphere inside the ground really something not quite Turkish hostile I'm not talking about that because I don't think that's just it's just not possible uh, for any English club uh, just because of the the culture etc to, to make that kind of noise on a consistent basis but if we could make it a bit louder and a bit more singy and a bit more shouty at the opposition and just a bit more I think it would I think it would make a difference but again I think that comes down maybe to a little lack of belief in the team as well that I can, what, what was that game? Was it a European game? Was it was a Shakhtar Donetsk when we were down and, and Keown scored a couple of goals, but there was a belief in the team that enabled the crowd to get really, really behind them that night to make this kind of incredible atmosphere that, that almost sucked the ball into the goal. Whereas at the moment, there isn't necessarily that belief that this team can, can do things like that. So maybe when they're not playing well, it's not so much a case of not supporting them, but just not quite believing that they can turn the game around. I don't know. It's a difficult one. It's tricky, isn't it? Anyway, Eduardo, good news about him. He could be back in about three weeks, back in full training, the boss says, rather than uh, back in contention for a first-team place. It's going to take him a while to get his match fitness back, but that is good news. And Eduardo, I think, is a quality player. Had we not lost him last season, I think we would have won the league. So to have him back is going to be um, a very good thing indeed. It adds a bit more competition for places and keeps uh, fellas on their toes. On the other hand, 
Uh, no real news about Thomas Rzitzki yet, and uh, as the days go on, it becomes less and less likely, I think, that we're going to see him again, because initially it was October, then it'll be before Christmas, now it's going to be after Christmas, and, and who knows what. I do hope he can get fit, but uh, I'm not holding out any hopes for it either. So, uh, that's the stuff uh, from the AGM. Now, one man who made his debut this week was Sylvester. Hello, everyone, it's me again, Sylvester! I've done it at last, I've made my debut for Arsenal, and both times we have won the game. Zutalo, you can see that Sylvester not only brings a funk, he brings a good luck to Arsenal too. Of course, my performances, I can improve, I've not played for such a long time, I am, how you say, rusty, like a robot left out in the rain. Speaking of which, I wouldn't mind a bit of Metal Mickey. Do you want to funk? It's probably a bit early for funking, especially on a Friday. Maybe some funking later? Yes, why not? After beer. It's much easier to funk after some beers. Anyway, before we look ahead to the West Ham game, Dennis Bergkamp was in North London yesterday and he was opening a footballing facility he's got involved with with Johan Cruyff, uh, sort of an astro thing, and uh, he's given £75,000 of his own money to get it up and running. And he was talking about Arsenal, he was talking about Arsene Wenger, talking about how uh, he has confidence that he can win trophies with this team. And when you hear Dennis say things like that, then you think, well, if Dennis says it, what, what do I know? I'm just some fucking cunt who writes a blog. Well, I don't know anything. If Dennis says it could be, you know. But anyway, he was talking to the BBC about um, all this sort of stuff, and they asked him about coming back to Arsenal at some stage. This is what went down. Just very, very finally, you're doing your coaching badges at Ajax. Ambitions one day to become the Arsenal manager? Um, at the moment, not to be the Arsenal manager. To, to be involved with the club, yes, because uh, I've had a tremendous time here. So, who knows? When, once I've got my badge, maybe, uh, maybe I might come back. Not necessarily the manager, but amongst the coaching setup. Yes. In the near future? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the future, but I, I don't know how quick that will go or, or if it will happen. I don't know. And if you see the video of that, you can see he's kind of smiling, smirking, even I might say, as he's talking to the BBC reporter. And it just makes me think that maybe, maybe, there's something in place already. A plan on Arsene Wenger's part to get Dennis Bergkamp involved in the coaching staff at Arsenal. Wouldn't that be amazing? Obviously, given his fear of flying, he's not going to be a manager. Uh, because, you know, you go to all these away European games and where's your manager? Well, he's he's at home. He's doing remote control team tonight. Like, uh... Pro Evolution Soccer, he's just sitting there controlling the team. Wouldn't really work. So while uh, ruling him out of the manager's job, it would be brilliant to have him back as a coach. Imagine young players at Arsenal learning stuff from Dennis Bergkamp. Brilliant, just brilliant. Uh, Fingers crossed that can happen sometime in the near future. Now West Ham on Sunday... We've got William Gallas and Colo Toure back in the squad, and I suspect they'll start, uh, given the performance of the central defence on Tuesday against Fenerbahce. Uh, even though it'll be, I suppose, good for Sylvester to get some some minutes under his belt, so to speak. Bakary Sanya will remain out. I suppose that Ibue 
uh, will start at right back. Although you just can't tell with Arsene Wenger. You know, he could play Alex Song there. He could put Clichy there or Adi Bayor at right back because he feels that Song can do a job at, at centre forward. Anyway, I, I suspect it'll be a bouée. And then, of course, next week we'll have Spurs on Wednesday. Uh, Bakary Sanya will be available for that. Uh, and that's another huge, huge game. So two big London derbies coming up in the next uh, in the next few days. Uh, I suppose this is going to be a, as big a test of we, as we've really had so far this season uh, in the league because uh, London derbies are always that little bit extra spicy. Spurs will be desperate, I suppose, given the, the circumstances they find themselves in. Uh, they're going to be absolutely desperate. Uh, to turn it around uh, and do something to to try and kickstart their season. Uh, West Ham is always a, a reasonably difficult game. They've got a new manager, Gianfranco Zola. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a big test. And if we can sit here next Friday and we're talking or I'm talking and you're listening and we've got six points from those two games, I will be very, very happy indeed. And I think that that could provide us with the kind of momentum that could keep us going for, I, I don't know how long, but it's the kind of uh, it's the kind of week that we need to come through and uh, pass the test with flying colours, so to speak. So that's really about it. Um, it just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you uh, all weekend and all next week on the blog, and of course on next week's Arscast. So until then, take it easy. Bye bye. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Arsenal AGM 2008. I am your host for the afternoon, Peter Illwood. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. It's been a long time coming. Relations were a bit tricky there to start, but uh, I'm very happy to welcome Stan Cronkey to the board. Ladies and gentlemen, Stan Cronkey. Uh, now, Mr. Krogi will answer one question from the audience. However, he has stipulated that he will only answer it in the style of a West Highland White Terrier. Uh, do we have any takers? Uh, gentlemen down the back there. Yes, it's you, sir. Uh, firstly, I'd like to welcome Mr. Krogi Darso. Congratulations and thank you very much. Uh, secondly, as a very wealthy individual, is he going to contribute something to the transfer key? It might actually make Arsene Bigger buy a player or two in January. Uh, Stan, uh, over to you, mate. Uh, well, Arthur, 
every day that answers your question there, sir. Now, if we can move on with the business of the AGM, the club is very pleased to announce that we're going to unveil free busts. Uh, bronze busts to be put in the Diamond Club in the new stadium, indeed. Uh, they will depict famous people from Arsenal's history. I'm very pleased to announce that the Camadiawara, Fabian Caballero, and Francis Jeffers bus will be unveiled in a special ceremony next Wednesday week. Where we have a drop of wine for you all. A bit of leave for our milks, milk, policello, one of them things. A bit of class about it, you know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 